the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol's executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, serves as past chair of the board of, the director, board of directors for the National Council on Aging. She's a member of the Ray's Family Caregiving Advisory Council under the Federal Department of Health and Human Services. Carol has a master's degree in social gerontology with over 25 years experience in the field of aging and caregiving, and she's one of Next Avenue's top 50 influencers on aging. So, Carol, I mentioned you're part of the RAISE committee. Uh, You all just sent a report to Congress. We did. We are so excited. So for all of the caregivers or anyone out there that's interested in caregiving, um, the RAISE Advisory Council did send 26 recommendations to the Congress. You can find a a two-page executive summary um, if you don't want to read the full report. Uh, on it's with the administration for community living so you go to acl.gov slash raise r-a-i-s-e just like it sounds acl.gov slash raise and you can find our report uh, to the congress and those are the recommendations next steps are a strategic plan to actually implement those recommendations and so for all of you who want to communicate Caregiver SOS on air. We're happy to take your recommendations uh, for caregiving in the United States back to the council. Cool. Well, we ought to do a show on what those recommendations are. We will. I like that. That'd be a good idea. Well, let me welcome our special guest, Dr. Jason Carlowish. Uh, He is a physician and a writer, a researcher, and he researches and writes about issues at the intersection of bioethics, aging, and the neurosciences. He's author of The Problem of Alzheimer's, How Science, Culture, and Politics Turned a Rare Disease into a Crisis and What We Can Do About It. He also wrote a novel, Open Wound, The Tragic Obsession of Dr. William Beaumont, and has written essays for the New York Times, the Washington Post, Forbes, and elsewhere. He is the medical ethics and health policy and neurology professor at the University of Pennsylvania and co-director of the Penn Memory Center he cares for patients. He lives in Philadelphia, where I briefly lived as well. And Dr. Carlowish, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here this afternoon. Tell us a bit about uh, what you wrote about Alzheimer's and how it was turned uh, from a disease into much more. Yeah, well, once upon a time, but not that long ago, Alzheimer's disease was a rare disease. It was thought to only occur in individuals who were 
not elderly. <laughs> um, and in contrast, the vast number of older adults with dementia, it was thought that their dementia was caused by senility, which was explained by extreme stages of aging, unfortunate stages of aging, not a disease. And that's a very important point in a culture because if you say something's not a disease, medicine is not very interested in it. And if you say medicine's not interested in it, it means the healthcare system's not interested in the problem. That's the way the world was, but suddenly and all at once things changed in the latter part of the 20th century. And it was because science and culture together came together and transformed senility into the disease we call Alzheimer's disease. And so all at once, what was a rare disease became quite common. And, and I recount that in the book. And then the next key event that happened very soon thereafter, unfortunately, was politics stepped in and turned it into a crisis. And that's where we are now with the Alzheimer's crisis. And those events all unfolded from about 1975 onwards. You can almost date them to around the 19, 1975, certainly by 1980. That yeah. all began to happen. Yeah, you're, you're giving, I'm having flashbacks of graduate school when we talked about senile dementia of the Alzheimer's type. Yeah, that was the liminal space. It was kind of, we're moving from <laughs> senility. No, it's a disease. But yeah, yeah, that was the language game that was going on there. Yeah, it was like Alzheimer's. They're holding on to the old view, but embracing a new view. And so the words reflected that kind of, you know, uncertain revolutionary space. Yeah. Well, what do you see? You know, we talk a lot about COVID and politics every day. What what kind of an influence? What did politics do with Alzheimer's? Oh, God. There's two big events in the history of Alzheimer's disease where politics intruded. And uh, the 20th century, and it's oddly at the bookends of the 20th century. One of them is the events that unfolded from 1980 onwards. But before that, there were the events that unfolded from 1914 onwards, um, specifically the events in Germany, named Europe, but specifically Germany. And I realize that sounds like old history. Who cares? You know, pull up a rocking chair. Let's enjoy it. But I think it's an I, I thought and, 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 uh, that the history of what happened in early 20th century Germany was very important for 21st century America because it's a very disturbing history of how culture and politics uh, 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 essentially shut down what was inspiring and really tremendous progress that was occurring in the science. But World War I and the events that have came after it in Germany really wrecked what was happening. Um, and really led to a dark ages that wasn't didn't end until essentially about 1980. Well, stay with me just a minute. For those who've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Dr. James Carlowish. He is a physician and an author, and you find him in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, works in neurology, medical ethics, health policy, and a whole lot more. And Carol, as you talked about your studies, uh, today, of course, dementia and Alzheimer's are recognized as a disease. Is it not a crisis? Well, I mean, everybody's telling us it's a crisis. So, you know, I would ask that question, you know, to you uh, about, uh, you know, is is this this huge number of people with Alzheimer's, this baby boom generation that's getting older, 
you know, and Alzheimer's growing exponentially. Is that the future? Is that written in stone? Is it too late? Is that really going to happen? Um, it's not too late, but it's getting a little late. Uh, but let's walk back from that. The Alzheimer's crisis is a, is, is a crisis, not simply because there are lots of people with dementia, disabling cognitive impairments caused by Alzheimer's disease and other brain diseases, other adult cognitive diseases. The Alzheimer's crisis is a crisis because we do not have a healthcare system that is set up to diagnose and care for those many millions of people and their caregivers. So the numbers are the entry point into a conversation about the crisis, but the, 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 the story of the crisis is a story of the failure to develop a healthcare workforce, the failure to develop a healthcare system that can meet the needs of not just the patients, but in quite in particular, the family members, the people who are in the role of caregiver. And that is the stuff of the crisis. And in the end, the crisis is told often in economic terms, triple digit billion dollar figure per year. Much of that triple digit cost of Alzheimer's to society is the cost of caregiving. It's the cost of the wages of caregivers giving care to another individual and therefore either not earning money themselves or paying someone else to do that care. And so therefore losing money that could have been used for other things. That's the crisis of Alzheimer's in America. And that is a political problem as much as it is, if not more than it is a medical problem. Well, and you, that's a great point because if I, as a woman, quit my job and become a caregiver full-time, I'm going to leave over $300,000 on the table in lost wages, you know, social yep. security benefits in my lifetime, just absolutely walk away from it. And right. so many times we as caregivers don't think about that. It's our mom. It's our husband. It's our family. We shouldn't have to think about that. I mean, what I'm trying to say is, is the, this economic burden is not, should not be for the American family to solve on its own. This economic burden is for the American families together as a society to solve. And you framed it just right. A dutiful daughter, and it oftentimes is a daughter or daughter-in-law, sometimes a spouse, rarely a son. <laughs> a dutiful daughter steps in and loses wages to provide care. And you're right. She's losing income. She's also losing future income, namely Social Security. She's also not paying into the tax base. You know, the politicians come back and say, well, we can't have a long-term care social insurance program because that'll just break the bank. And the answer is it is going to require raising taxes, but we're already paying. That daughter is not paying into the system. She's not paying into taxes that we could use for other things. So we're already losing. We're just losing in a quiet way, one family at a time. Uh, and that's the tragedy. Right. And what, you're, and what you're talking about is actually generational. So I've lost my wages and that's going to impact my children and what yep. I have to transfer from one generation to the other. And that's so it's exactly not just problem. me. It's not that's, just me. That's exactly the problem. This ramifies into a family because, you know, what do you think? Think about what the big expenses that an American family faces uh, that sort of occur, you know, in periods of time. In addition to caregiving, the other one is education. Uh, you want to get a college education in America, it's going to cost money. Well, if that money has instead been spent on caregiving, 
some, something loses, something has to pay. And, you know, I, I framing this as a generational problem like that, I find to be just odious, you know, and I, and I hold both parties responsible for putting us in a situation where we're thinking about, you know, are we paying for care versus paying for education? Uh, that's just not a responsible way to set up a, a, a country. Well, it reminds me in the way that we're talking about, I've heard discussions about, you know, the environment and recycling. Somehow it's become, it's, it's my fault. I don't recycle if the world is not a better place, as opposed to a societal issue that we haven't faced with the environment. It's my fault if I didn't plan ahead and put money away for to take care of a family member, as opposed to a, a non-system that exists to help support me. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And that's the frustration I think that I feel. We're going to talk more about this in just a minute. Pardon me for interrupting. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And we'll be back in a moment with our special guest, Dr. Jason, Jason Carlowish, talking about some pretty difficult, complex issues uh, that face all of us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. Thank you so much for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Dr. Jason Carlowish. He's a physician and an author. You find him in Philadelphia at the University of Pennsylvania, and we're talking about the impact of caregiving, the cost to society, and it's really a cost to each and every one of us. So, doctor, uh, dealing with Congress on this issue uh, it's like pounding your head against the wall. How do you break through? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe the pandemic woke us to caregiving because suddenly all of us uh, felt what it was like to be a caregiver because suddenly all of us lost a lot of our services and supports that let us live our lives. Um, and those who were caregivers were handed even more challenges and burdens of trying to provide care when there was no system in place. Um, couldn't go into the long-term care facility and or the care couldn't come to your home to help you care for your relative. Maybe, because uh, that, that affected both sides of the aisle, maybe that will yield a generation of politicians who are willing to talk about this, uh, who are willing to make this a public issue, uh, who are willing to make it a policymaking issue. I think that the, the one event, though, that uh, frustrates addressing this problem uh, can be dated back to the early 90s, because by the early 1990s, the Republican Party had essentially embraced a no taxation policy. You do not raise taxes, etc. And if you have that as a point of policy, this, there's no way taxes are going to be raised. Um, you can't really make some of the changes that you need to make, because if we're going to have a long-term care services and supports uh, uh, system, we need long-term care social insurance. And to do that, you're going to need a payroll tax 
because it's a vast risk that affects everyone and vast risks that affect everyone. If you're going to insure them, that's costly, but that's also something that makes sense that everyone pays into it a little bit so then we can all benefit from it. So most countries that have a long-term care services and support system supported by a social insurance program like Germany, they have a payroll tax and they're very careful about making sure the system pays for itself through that tax. Um, so it can be done, but I just don't see a conversation going on in Washington that's very sensible where you've got one side of the aisle saying absolutely no revenue raising will occur on, in, in this party. That, that's, not a, that's not a sensible way to go about policymaking. Well, and, and, and maybe in this country, you know, we have a language problem in terms of calling it a tax. You, you mentioned the word social insurance. And a lot of times we talk about social, ins- uh, social security, it's an entitlement, as if somehow somebody's just giving me this and I didn't pay into it all of those years. You know, so really it's a premium, right? Yeah. I'm really not paying a tax. I'm paying my social insurance premium that's going to yeah. pay for that insurance. Well, let's, let's work with that. No, that that's a- no, that's a great idea, Carol, because let's run with that. I mean, the, 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 the point you're getting at would be, look, America, Americans, you're not going to afford a long-term care insurance policy going to some underwriter to give you one. A, they're extremely expensive, and B, most of the underwriters aren't doing them anyway, right? So instead, we're going to make available for all Americans the ability to pay into a long-term care social insurance program by means of a payroll tax. I mean, that's a reframing of it, I think, that could begin to get people to see the sort of, aha, that makes sense, that makes sense. You know, and I mean, Obamacare is an example of, you know, you can you can move policy along when people realize this is a large, vast shared risk that we're all going to have to address. Having said that, though, remember, Obamacare passed essentially without a single Republican vote. Now, you may agree or disagree with Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, but you have to, any, no matter what your position on it is, it, it, it did not pass with any bipartisan support. And I just think that that's a risky way to go about policymaking uh, when you're relying on one and only one party to be able to move something along. Uh, that's not a recipe for arriving at something everyone's going but to But it has at long last become popular. Yeah. The no, Affordable the, Care Act, because people now, have it, seen how it helps them. Yep, exactly. And, and, and essentially the repeal and replace whatever the whole rhetoric has been dropped it, you know the, the the republican party has moved on yeah so you mentioned the financial that this is all put in financial terms um so maybe there's some other things that we talk about besides i know money is is speaks with the loudest voice in this country but you know in your book do you talk about the the other impacts that you know, framing Alzheimer's as a financial issue, um, you know, has on on our lives. You know, what else? What you're a physician. What else do you see when you see families struggling with Alzheimer's? Stigma, stigma. What 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 family members and patients struggle with is is public stigma. Uh, they struggle with the fact that um, as people, friends, other family, uh, find out observe, learn about the fact that this person has disabling cognitive impairments or in a word has dementia, uh, they start to stay away. They start to distance themselves. Uh, they're not as present, uh, not just from the patient, the person with, with living with dementia, um, but from the family member. And in the book, I recount how uh, Ronald Reagan's friend and former ambassador, Walter Annenberg, ambassador of the United Kingdom, 
was quoted in the New York Times as saying that he prefers to stay away from Ronald Reagan and remember him as the hearty hail fellow he was, not the way he is now. Well, that's, that's public stigma. I'm going to avoid my friend Ronald Reagan and presumably as well that meant avoiding Nancy Reagan. You know, and that's what families and patients struggle with. All of a sudden, friends disappear. Um, and so they deal with this sort of loneliness, this isolation. My mother used to talk about that. My dad had dementia and all of their friends dropped away. Yeah. Uh, she, she rarely got a call from someone who she'd known for years. She belonged uh, to a, a temple in Cleveland and all of her Jewish friends disappeared. Even the rabbi didn't call. So it, it was for her a, a, a huge awakening. And for those of you who are listening to us, here's an awakening. I want to tell you what you're listening to. It's Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, our co-host. And we're talking with Dr. Jason Karlowish, who is a, a physician, a medical ethicist at the University of Pennsylvania. And we're talking about what are really, bottom line, medical ethical issues. Uh, are we, as a citizen of this country, are we not entitled to quality health care? Of course we are, but we didn't design a system um, for care for older adults, particularly older adults disabled by chronic disease, particularly older adults disabled by uh, uh, disabling cognitive impairments or dementia. Um, the Medicare statute written in 1965 expressly uh, states in the statute that the funds cannot be used for, quote, custodial care, which was the term of the time, as if these patients, these persons were buildings that needed to be swept and mopped. Uh, but it only just captures how simple we were in our understanding of what caregiving was. Look, I can understand why that happened. In the book I recount, the word caregiver didn't get used in common language until about 1980. Before 1980, the word caregiver rarely appears in the English language diction. There were always caregivers. I mean, the book of Ruth in the Bible, the Old Testament book of Ruth, is the story of Ruth caring for her mother-in-law, Naomi. That's what the book of Ruth is about. But nowhere is Ruth called Naomi's caregiver. She's just a good daughter-in-law taking care of her widowed mother-in-law. Um, the events that occurred in 1980, where we sort of recognized caregiving as a distinct role, were really key events to begin to sort of address their problems and challenges. Unfortunately, our healthcare system was designed and never caught up to this new recognition of this very distinct role taken on by wives, daughters, sons, et cetera, husbands, namely the role of being a caregiver for someone else. And until we design a system to address their needs, you know, we're failing them, we're falling short. Well, you know, some of the, the issues around caregiving are tied to the uh, I'll say the ageism, the lack of interest in, and the invisibility of, of old people and issues around old age and sort of the lack of, of respect that we have for that. Is there or do you think there's something within the disabilities community where they have been able to use their voices to say nothing about me without me and to want to mainstream for for lack of a better word, but to have the same sort of a life that someone without a disability might have the same opportunities. Is there, is there something that we can learn from them uh, about the dignity and the integration of caregivers, people with dementia into, you know, our, our, our regular lives as opposed to somebody you warehouse, you put in custodial care. Yeah, no, there absolutely is. There absolutely is. I think that the disability advocacy world uh, has a empowering way of thinking about disability 
living with disability that we should learn from from the world of persons living with dementia. I think there's two important distinctions. I think persons living with dementia, people who have disabling cognitive impairments, that's what dementia is, they need other people. Um, we call them caregivers. Um, maybe only a little bit in the beginning in terms of the amount of help they need and when they need it. But even in the beginning, if you're saying someone has dementia, they need another mind to help their partly damaged mind. And the other reality is, if it is a dementia caused by a neurodegenerative disease, over time, there may be more needs and changing needs and greater interdependence. And so I think we have to be careful with fully adopting some of the disability rhetoric that posits independence as the sole goal, because really it's about interdependence with another person. And I don't think robots and things can totally replace another person. I am cautiously optimistic, though, of some turnings that are occurring in the way we think about these diseases. Once upon a time, if you had done this interview with me, I would have talked about the demented and someone who's demented. And I would have said that with the same alacrity with which I've said everything else I've said in our time together. But we don't do that now. We say persons living with dementia. And I hear that from all of my colleagues in the clinical and the research setting. So we are beginning to recognize the person as opposed to that they are the adjective demented. Well, you get the last word, and that's perfect. We really appreciate you being with us. Dr. Jason Carlos Carlowish and Carol Zerniel, our co-host. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for listening and joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.